0: Hi, this is Gillen from Race Reflections. I am really excited to welcome you into the first episode of our new podcast at work. The podcast is all about tackling issues of inequality, injustice and oppression in the workplace. It's going to be a fortnightly space to reflect on the challenges you face. And so going forward, we'll use an open Q&A format, which means that we'll welcome your questions your challenges, your dilemmas related to inequality, injustice and oppression. If you would like to put to us issues to consider, then please get in touch and we'll try to feature them in the podcast. You can contact us via email using contact at uk. How at work develops over time is up to you. It is up to your feedback, but we remain open and we will take the direction that you find the most helpful. Now, before we get started, a little bit about us and a little bit about me. Let's start with Rest Reflections. Rest Reflections is a fast-growing social enterprise dedicated to tackling inequality, injustice and oppression in society. And we do this through various activities, including organizational consultancy, training, community engagement, and content creation. As for me, I am a psychologist by background. I am also a clinician with grounding in sociology and in cultural study, but also in group analysis and in psychoanalysis. So those are the perspectives that I will bring when considering organizational functioning. Today is our first ever episode. So it is a little bit scary, but it is also very exciting at the same time. It is celebratory for more than one reason. As some of you may know, I have just finished writing my first book, Living While Black. So it is a very special time. It's been quite a journey to get to this point, and I am frankly just thankful that I have made it. Living while Black addresses the challenges associated with navigating white supremacy and the impact of racism and racial trauma on Black people primarily, and it provides tools and strategies to mitigate the harm of racism, but also to facilitate self-care and healing within white supremacy. And so it seems befitting to me today to think about racial trauma in the workplace, an issue that is not often reflected upon when it comes to considering the experience of people of colour in the workplace, but also when it comes to thinking about organisational functioning and dynamics. So let us take the rest of the podcast to think a little bit about what racial trauma might be. Before we think about what racial trauma might be, let us think about trauma first. Now, some of you might be surprised to find out that there is no universally agreed definition of racial trauma. And there is no universally agreed definition of trauma. But generally, when clinicians speak about trauma, we are talking about both the events, but um, more specifically, the responses to distressing events. Uh, so events that are experienced as frightening and as overwhelming and which negatively affect our sense of safety and our sense of security in the world. So I guess we could say that we are talking about the long-lasting effect that those events have on how we relate to ourselves, how we relate to others and how we relate to the world. So now let us think about racial trauma and whether we can arrive at a definition too. Well, we could simply, as a first point of call, extend the definition of trauma to racial trauma, in which case we might say that racial trauma is both the racism-related event racism-related distressing event and our responses to the same. So racism-related event which cause us some distress and that are experienced as frightening and which therefore compromise negatively our sense of safety and our sense of security in the world. There are, of course, more specific definitions that exist. So, for example, Dr. Robert Carter, who is an African-American psychologist, has created the framework of race-based traumatic stress injury, which aims to make visible the harm of racism. According to this framework, racial trauma or race-based traumatic stress injury, more specifically, is essentially the pain that a person may feel after encounters with racism. According to Carter, how we experience these encounters is going to be dependent on us as individuals, but also on the context and on history. So whether a race-based or racism-related event is experienced as traumatic or as stressful is going to be a function of the intersection between individual factors, between contextual factors, and between historical factor or simply history. Now, let's take stock. I wonder whether it would be helpful to think about those definitions, those ideas, those frameworks in relation to someone. So I'm going to tell you about someone that I have worked with, of course I have altered some biographical information in the interest of maintaining confidentiality and anonymity. But the person that I want to tell you about I have decided to call Harvinder. Harvinder is a British Asian male in his mid twenties who has worked as a research assistant for about two years. Harvinder was fiercely ambitious. He had believed most of his life that is Work ethics and competence would be no bar to career, progression and fair treatment at work. Havenda found himself within a context of organisational restructuring and he accepted a transfer to an all-white team within which he quickly started to notice that he was treated differently. For example, he was denied time of work when it suited him and unlike other employees. He was micromanaged, he was given more administrative assignment, and at times he was treated with hostility. Because of his treatment, Harvinder made a number of race discrimination complaints, none of which were upheld. As a result, though, his supervisor retaliated. Harvinder became labelled as the troublemaker, He was deprived of support and excluded from social events, but because he needed a job, Harvinder endured the mistreatment for several months. Nonetheless, his well-being became affected. He started to have nightmares about work. He experienced panic attack on his way to work and they became so severe that he could no longer face returning to work. Eventually, Harvinder was signed off with depression for about 18 weeks. This period of sickness absence was extended until he finally resigned. Now, what in Harvinder and in his story can help us better understand what racial trauma is, what it might look like, how it might manifest in the workplace? Let's start with the basics. And again, what we could say is that racial trauma is the lived experience of the distress which occur as a result of racism, that it is the real or threatened emotional or physical pain that experiencing racism might cause, that it is the result of micro-meso or micro-processes and configuration, and that it can manifest in various ways, including via feelings of shame, of self-blame, of isolation, of low mood, of anxiety. Racial trauma is operational at individual and at collective level, and it is central to group identity and dynamics. And although this is not quite explicit in the story of Avinda, racial trauma can be transmitted intergenerationally. So racial trauma is a significant issue when it comes to the well-being of employees Of color. For example, it is not unusual for people who are underrepresented in their place of employment to feel that they bear the burden or the responsibility of countering negative stereotypes, to feel that they have to work three or four times harder to succeed, or to feel that they have to put on a persona, or to leave their authentic self behind to be accepted, and to be safe at work. More often than not, as I often say, when a person of colour manages to access a white organisation, even though HR and management might have gone out of their way to increase race, quote-unquote, diversity, the expectation or the normalised practice culturally is that those employees dress themselves in whiteness, so that in the end, everyone comes to think the same way, dress the same way, speak the same way, work the same way, in ways that simply reproduce whiteness and therefore culturally exclude those the organization says it wants to include, or alternatively assimilate them into norms that echo or repeat social and historical messages and configuration around inferiority, around otherness, around trespassing. And it is this cultural context, its messages, its dynamics, its configuration that can take their toll on the well-being of employees of colour. That is why it is so important to think beyond interpersonal dynamics and to consider cultural and structural issues as well in order to promote the well-being of staff of colour. So what can people in position of authority do? What can organisation or social structure do to mitigate the impact of racism and to therefore limit the probability that their employees will be experiencing race-based distress or trauma? As we have said at the beginning of the podcast, at work is really all about trying to figure out some possible solution. And so I want to leave you with things that you may want to consider if you are in a position of power within your organisation. That is not to say, of course, that the intervention that follow are the only possible intervention. And right now, I focus on organisational level intervention or practices. Um, there are, of course, individual intervention for people who are at the receiving end of racism. And there are things that we can do to look after our mental health and our well-being. So if that is of interest, consider register on one of our racial trauma calls. Uh, they can be delivered online or they can be delivered via Zoom or perhaps uh, get a copy of Living Wild Black, which, as I said, has self-care strategies and tools, but also contains a chapter on working while black. So back to organisational interventions. Firstly, I really want you to start to listen and to trust people who have the lived experience of racism. They have the expertise when it comes to recognising racism and when it comes to recognising race discrimination. Now, this is a basic request, but I say even today, it is still revolutionary. As we have seen in the case of Havinder, it is extremely rare for race discrimination complaints to be upheld. They tend to be dismissed. And there are various dynamics at play. We have no time to cover them today, but if that is something that interests you, please do get in touch and tell us, and we'll be happy to reflect on them in a different podcast. Number two, it is vital that you accept racism as the norm and that you take a critical stance to your activities and to your services. This will help avoid the kind of scapegoating that we have seen with Harvinder as he attempted to name what the organisation was simply not prepared to contemplate. And as he insisted on naming the problem, the problem or the disturbance became located in him, which is a frequent dynamic within groups when it comes to naming issues of racism. Or discrimination. Number three. be honest about the limitation that your positionality imposes on your perspective. Where you are located socially is going to have a fundamental impact on what you can see, what you cannot see, what you can recognize, what you cannot recognize, what you can understand, what you might struggle. To understand. And I know that there is a lot of pushback in relation to unconscious bias training and I think that most of the criticism are important and valid but what we do not want to do is for micro level phenomena to be completely discarded when it comes to understanding how inequalities, how racism gets reproduced in the workplace. Any comprehensive anti-racism program will look at the reproduction of racism at micro level, at meso level and at macro level. So it's important to continually seek to reflect and to develop a learning culture in relation to difference and most importantly, in relation to your relationship. With difference. Finally, as we have seen through the story of Havinda, isolation and lack of social support are contextual risk factors when it comes to racial trauma. So, some question for you, particularly in places which suffer with significant issue of representation when it comes to particular demographic. And here we are thinking primarily about race. Do your staff have access to race-based support? Are there spaces? Are there networks that exist to connect employees who might be underrepresented in the workplace? Those spaces, those structures, those networks are so important to sustain people who may be experiencing marginalisation or may be struggling with being the only one. It's important for them to have space where they can share their experience, where they can draw support uh, from peers, where they can draw inspiration, but also where they might be able to problem solve navigational strategies. So let us recap. We said number one, please listen and trust. We said number two, take a critical stance to your activities and to your services. We said number three, be honest, be reflective around your positionality and the limitation that this imposes on your perspective. And then number four, we suggested that you look very carefully at uh, support and specifically race-based support. Now we could, of course, do a two, three eight, 10 hour long podcast on racial trauma. This is just basically touching the surface, but I hope there is enough in there to get you thinking. And if you want to know more, please don't hesitate to get in touch. So that is probably enough as a first introduction to racial trauma at work please don't forget to put to us your challenges, your dilemmas, your questions, and we'll try to concentrate on them in the episodes to come. I can't believe we did it. We made it. We are closing our first ever episode. Thank you so much for listening. This has been Ghislaine from Rest Reflections. Until next time, please take care.